be seated. Well, good morning and welcome to Tri-Cities Church. If this is your first time with us, I'm glad that you're here and we're glad that you've joined us to worship our God. Um, In your seat, there should have been one of these connection cards, Uh, especially if you're a first time with us. We just love to know that you're here. Fill out whatever information you feel comfortable with. But then for everyone on the back of that card, there's an opportunity for you to write down anything that you're going through in life, anything that you're just concerned about friend is concerned about anything like that and we we love to pray for you and so it's an opportunity for you to just write that down get that to us and we spend time every monday praying for for everyone that writes out fills out one of these cards and so um and that's really uh and jamie and i were just joking the other day because we uh actually we added an extra prayer time so we, we we get together on mondays in prayer and, and we felt the need to have an end of the week time of prayer. And so, uh, so now we get together on Mondays and we pray together and then we get together at the end of the week and we, and we pray. Um, but we were, we were kind of laughing because it seems like, um, that, that as soon as we finish praying, some of the stuff that we're, we're praying about, like either something happens or, or an answer comes or, or, or something like that. And so we just, not, not to say, well, there is that scripture that says, um, the, the prayers of the righteous, like, right, not righteous in the sense of the person that does all the right things because we never claim that for ourselves. But, but prayers of the righteous in the sense that God has made us righteous by what he's done, not because of what we've done, um, but that the prayers of the righteous are, are effectual, that they, that they availeth much, right? It's that old King James Version, they availeth much, right? They bring about change and results. And so uh, we love to be in prayer uh, with you and for you on anything that, that you're going through. So f- please fill out one of those. And then also, uh, when we take communion at these four tables, that's what the bucket on the table's for, is for offering. But you can also drop that card in those buckets at that time as well. All right. We're continuing our series. This is our third week in our series, four-week series on joy. We're simply calling it Joy Squared, How to Live a Life with Increasing Joy. And really what we're doing is we're looking at the book of Philippians, and Paul talks a lot about joy in this book. I think it's 16 or 17 times he mentions the word joy or like a derivative of joy, like rejoice or enjoy or something like that. And so, so throughout this book, he's talking about joy, but often he's talking about it in his own life, right? He's not necessarily teaching us how to have joy, but he's offering himself up as an example of one who has joy through every circumstance that he faces in life. Last week, I think we said that his life was circumstantially up and down, right? He was going through some rough times. There's some times of ease, though, as well. And there were times that he talks about how blessed he was, about the people who were around him, who were taking care of him, how people uh, generously gave to him so that he could continue the work that God called him to do, and how things were easy at times, but when things got bad for Paul, right? We think we've seen bad. When things got bad for Paul, they seriously got rough. And, and, but throughout all of that, as he's writing to the church, he's offering himself up as an example of a man who has great joy, and that joy is in the Lord. And so what we're doing throughout this series is simply looking at his life and trying to pick up from his life what he did so that he could maintain his joy in through those difficult situations. Now, this morning, we're in Philippians chapter 3. Now, Philippians chapter 3 is a difficult passage uh, to understand. Um, It's a very theologically rich passage, just meaning it says a lot about God and God's decision to relate to his people and how God relates to his people. And so so we're going to read this entire passage, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 through 14. We're going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to kind of unpack it and talk talk about what it means. And so let's read that scripture together. Philippians chapter 3. Um, Verse 1 through 14. It says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again. 
It is, the safe, it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider them lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which of which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for this passage of Scripture. So much meaningful stuff is said there as Paul's writing to this church is trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus Christ in their day and age. God, we thank you that these Scriptures have been preserved for thousands of years. And now we have them, that we can read them, that we can study them, that we can understand how you have called us to live in our day. And so, God, as we study this scripture, I pray that you'll guide us, that you'll give us a clearer understanding, that you'll help us to find points of application for our own lives, that we might walk more fully in step with you, and that we might find ourselves having increasing joy in our daily lives. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. As I read throughout this scripture and 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 reading through Philippians and and just studying this passage and paying attention to the way that Paul is using this word joy and rejoice, as I look at that and I pay attention to that, what I became deeply convicted of is that Paul, when he says joy and when he teaches about joy in the Lord, as he says in Philippians chapter 1, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord, having this joy in the Lord. When he says that, he's not just talking about a theoretical concept, but he's talking about a theological 
truth, right? He's not talking about just like this theoretical concept. Now, theory, right? You talk about something being theoretical. It means it makes intellectual sense, right? It makes sense in your brain, right? You might have all kinds of theory that goes on up here in your head, and it might make no sense to anyone else out there. Or you may have a theory that makes absolute sense to everybody, but sometimes our theory doesn't work out the way that it would work out in our heads. Who's ever had that happen to you, right? You had this plan that you set out, and theoretically it would work out one way, but in reality, a totally different thing happens, right? A lot of times that's the way we go through life. And so what Paul is teaching us through his own life is that he's not only discovered how to have uh, this theoretical joy, this concept of joy, he's not saying, well, in Christ, you should have joy, right? Because of what Christ has done, because of the way he's blessed your life, because you do have a car, you do have a house, you do have a job, you do have these things, you do have clothes, you did eat this morning. Because of these things, you should have joy. He's not saying that theoretically, because of what you have, what you've attained, what you've achieved, right, that you can have joy, but he's teaching us that theologically that there should be something that happens experientially, right, something in our experience that brings about real joy in our lives, that in our lives we should actually have joy. Now, I'll talk about this word theology, and now theology, well, you you can get a degree in theology. Simply, if you think about different ologies, right, you have biology, right, the study of different life forms, bio, life forms, right? And you have uh, cardiology, right? I think it's the study of like hearts and how the heart works and whether it's doing what it's supposed to do or anthropology, the study of human beings. Well, theology, theos, the Greek word for God. um, So it's the study of God, very simply. It's the study of God and how God has intervened in human life and how God brings about real and measurable change in our lives, a real difference in our lives. And so what Paul is saying is a matter of theological truth. He's saying that as you discover more about who God is, right, as you come to a clearer understanding of who God is, what God has done, and what, um, what he's brought about in your life, on your behalf, regardless of what you've done, in return, when you come to that clear understanding of that, the more that understanding becomes clearer, you find your joy increasing. You find your joy increasing. Now, one of the things that I found happens over and over again in the church, and this is just, just in conversation and, and, and even in my own life, is that I, come to, I would come to church and I would sit down and I would listen to this sermon that would talk about Paul or talk about Moses or talk about Timothy or talk about some Bible figure. And, and this preacher would kind of lift himself up as though he had it all figured out and gotten it all right at this point in his life, right? As though that was a part of his seminary degree that was like reaching this state of perfection. And I would come in church and I would sit and I will, wait, 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 I'm not there yet, right? I hear this message about joy, right? I hear this message about resisting temptation. I hear this message about, um, about being content and satisfied, but, but I'm not there yet. And then what I find begins to happen in a lot of people's life is that we walk away from church with more guilt than we came with, right? Because I feel like at some level, I've become a Christian. I've made a decision to follow Christ. Everybody else is experiencing this and I'm not, and some, something's wrong with me. Right? Everybody else is experiencing joy and I'm not and something's wrong with, with me. But when we read the scriptures, the Bible's not saying that just, just in a moment's notice you become a follower of Christ and all of a sudden your joy goes from here to here, right? It's not saying that, right? Or our contentment goes from here to here or our satisfaction goes from here to here. But it's saying that progressively as we learn who God is, right? Talk to somebody who's walked with the Lord 
for a long time. And they'll tell you, yeah, there's still struggles. There's still hardships. There's still things I don't get. There's still times that I have to fight for my joy and for my contentment in the Lord. But I tell you what, as I walk with the Lord and I discover him more and more every day, it's made a change in my life. And I discover my joy increasing. You see, Christianity is one of those things you have to stick with, right? You have to stick with it. You have to dig it, dig down deep, right? You have to grow. You have to put that effort and energy in that you might grow in the Lord. And when you do that, you find what Paul says to the Philippians, which is not just a matter of theory, right? Not just a theoretical concept, but it's a matter of theological truth. Rejoice in the Lord. I love in, in, in uh, the next chapter in Philippians 4, verse 4, he says something similar again. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Right? So over and over again, he's teaching us to have joy in the Lord. And this is a joy that happens progressively, increasingly, as we walk with the Lord, as we study God, as we get to know him, him better, as we become better theologians, right? A lot of times we think about theology as being the task of people who are in academia or who go to school or seminary or been called to the ministry. But the reality is we all become better theologians because what we do here on Sunday morning is we study to understand God. We study to understand his scriptures. We study to understand the ways that he's revealed himself to us and the way that he's called us to live our lives on a day-to-day basis. And so what we're doing here is, is theology. Now, in the first century, the, uh, the, the theology of the church, the theology of the Christian theology was deeply connected with the traditions uh, of the Jews, right, of Judaism. And we, we said something last week about, um, I, we, I talked last week about the way that, that Christianity kind of emerged out of Judaism, in a sense. In, in a sense, uh, when, it, when it first began, it, it wasn't considered two separate religions, right? Nobody set out to start Christianity. Nobody set out and said, I'm starting a new religion and we're going to call it Christianity and we're going to call them Christians. Instead, it was within Judaism. Jesus was a Jew. He came and there were some that believed what he taught and the, there were others that didn't and rejected it. And progressively, as those who believed what he taught followed him and continued to follow him and continued to do things like increase in their joy, right? Experience his grace and show that kind of grace. Have this different kind of forgiveness, this new freedom that they found that was freedom from the law, freedom from this, this uh, legalistic uh, uh, pounding on their head and freedom to follow Christ every day progressively in their real lives. As they experienced that, they began began to look distinctive or it had distinctions from um, their Jewish traditions. And so they began to uh, separate themselves. And in fact, people began to call them Christians. People began to call them Christians because of the way they followed the way of Christ. But yet and still, a lot of things were tied to this Jewish tradition. You know, traditions are hard to give up, right? We all become traditional people very quickly. Right? You move into a new house or you move into a new community. You develop traditions. You develop routines. You develop habits and ways of being and doing things. And so this new walk of following Christ for people in the first century was difficult because it required them to give up some of their 
traditions. And in fact, in the church, there were those, that group, they, they became known as Judaizers, right? They were trying to make everyone out to follow the traditions of the Jews, right? They were trying to make everybody do that. So they became known as, as Judaizers and they were in the church and they were trying to force, they were actually creating these artificial barriers in the church that were keeping people out because of these rules that they were teaching that people had to live by. And that was their tradition that they were still holding on to, but it hindered them from coming to a place of good theology, of truly understanding understanding the people that that God was calling them to be and who God actually was in their lives. And so these traditions formed a hindrance for them from following God, from knowing God, from understanding God. And what I love that Paul does here in Philippians is that he offers his own life up as one who's done all the right things traditionally, right? But it's not his traditions that made a difference in his life. It's his theology, It's his understanding of God that made a difference in his life. So look at what he says again in verse. I'm going to start in verse three. I think the slide actually begins in verse four. It says, for it is we who are of the circumcised who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. If somebody thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. That's a Jewish tradition, right? On the eighth day, every baby born was to be circumcised. And that was just a tradition because that was a signal of your union with Christ or with God. And um, his Jews weren't, they didn't, Jews didn't do the Christ thing. They just did the God thing, right? All right, so they, so, um, so they, did, and they didn't believe in Jesus Christ. They rejected him, right? Um, and, and so it was a symbol of your union with God, this covenant relationship that you were in with God. This God will be my God and I will be God's man or woman, person, right? And that's what, that's what circumcision symbolized. And so Paul says, hey, I did that. I followed that tradition. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel, right? From the right lineage, right? That I was born into the right family, right? And then I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was a son of Israel, right? Where the nation of Israel comes from was his prized son, his youngest son from his favorite wife, favorite wife, right? Uh, so he had his favorite wife. I think Genesis chapter 35, he talks about that, right? He had this favorite wife um, named Rachel and they had this son named Benjamin. And while she was in labor, giving birth to Benjamin, Rachel dies. And so she was the prized child of Israel from which this whole nation comes. And, and Paul says this, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, right? So I'm doing all the right things. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrew, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. Now, Pharisees were these very legalistic uh, religious leaders who taught that you had to abide by uh, not just the law, but they made up rules to make sure you didn't even get close to breaking the law, right? So there were all kinds of boundaries. So you could not even get, you know, if the law said you can't, uh, you can't build a house on, on, on the Sabbath day, the, 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 um, the Hebrews said um, that, that you can't even nail a, a hammer, a nail on the Sabbath day, right? You can't hit that nail more than two times or you're breaking the law. So make sure that no one got close to breaking the law. And that's how these Pharisees were. So they set all these parameters up. And so he says, I'm a Pharisee, right? I don't even get close to breaking the law. He says, as for zeal persecuting the church, you can read about that in Acts, right? He pursued people who were followers of Christ, drugged them off, had them beaten and imprisoned, and some were even killed for their faith. That was Paul, right? And later becomes a follower of Christ. And he says, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. I did all the right things according to the ancient Jewish traditions. 
I was a good traditional Jew. But that messed with my theology. You see, what God is doing isn't about being a good traditional Jew or being a good traditional American, but it's about understanding who God is calling you to be in this day. It's about reading God's word and freely and clearly wrestling with how is this calling me to live, not how am I in a very good and clear way following the traditions of those who came before me. You see, good theology always leads to joy. And that's what Paul is saying. That's why he's able to say, listen, I've done all the right things. But he says in verse 7, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. You know, it's rare that we can say I've done all the right things. I've attained all of this. I've achieved all of these achievements. I've done all these things that the people who live around me, my community, my friends, my coworkers will look at me and say, way to go, right? You've done it. You've achieved it. That's where we all want to be. I'm the envy of everyone around me. But he says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. You see, Paul's theology led him in a different way from the traditions of the past. His theology led him to break with that in a way that he now found confidence, not in what he did, not in what he was able to achieve, not in the things that he inherited, but his confidence was in Christ alone. Look at verse 8. He says, What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. They're worth just throwing away that I might grow in Christ. You see, Paul understood that the Christian life is one that we grow into, not one that we leap into, that we magically appear into, that we reach this state of perfection overnight, but it's one that we that we grow into. And so he says very clearly in the scriptures that I want to grow into this kind of life. I want to stick with it. In fact, when we look in the book of Acts and we read the story of Paul and we see how he became a follower of Jesus Christ, what we see there is that he didn't just um, that he didn't just believe in Jesus Christ and all of a sudden go into doing ministry or go into this public life of following Christ. But he began to study. Right. He began to study the scriptures. He began to sit down with apostles. He began to sit down with people that came face to face with Jesus Christ and began to grow and understand what that meant to follow Jesus Christ. He entered this process that we today in the church call discipleship. Right? It's called discipleship because it's one-on-one, people meeting with people. Somebody who's been walking with the Lord a long time, meeting with somebody that's not been walking with the Lord for a long time, and, and walking together to deeper levels in the Lord. Right? The life that God has called us to is one of discipleship. It's not one of saying, I got my Bible, I got my God, right? And now I'm good. But it's saying, I got my Bible, I got my God, and I got friends that are on this journey along with me that are walking with me, that are helping me understand the way of Christ, right? Just coming to church on Sunday morning doesn't quite do it. We need to walk with somebody else that's mature in the faith, that's walked before us. In fact, I've said this before, and that's that I wouldn't do life as a follower of Christ without somebody that's been where I've been walking with me. 
right? And so when you find that person, draw close to them, stick with them, uh, ask them to walk with, the, with you, ask them to hold you accountable, call on them, right? Because that's what the following Christ is all about. The Bible says that when Jesus began his ministry, he set this paradigm, right? He called 12 guys to be his disciples, his followers. He walked with those guys for three years. And in the course of time, he began sending them out to make more disciples. And as those disciples became followers of Christ, they were sent out to make more disciples. And this multiplication happens. Not just a multiplication in numbers, but a multiplication in joy. They experienced true joy as they discovered what it meant to walk with Jesus Christ. What it meant to live for him every day. What it meant to not have confidence in the things of this world, material things and the things that we collect and amass, but to have confidence that's rooted in Christ alone. Because the things of this world that we can gain, the things that we can achieve, the positions that we can attain, the places that we can go are merely temporary. But what Paul discovered was that in Christ, there's this joy that comes from this confidence in God. And this confidence is knowing that my day-to-day and my destiny is in God's hand and not in my own. You see, Paul began to see himself through the lens of Scripture. And that showed him one thing, at least, very clearly. And that, that he, that's that he was only human, that he was weak, that he was subject to failure, that he would mess up. And so this confidence that comes not in the flesh of this this person who has faults, this person that does fail, this person that messes up, this confidence is not in my flesh, but is in Christ, knowing that he has my daily life and my destiny in his hand is a confidence that we can't get from any other place. And so Paul began to say to himself, and I'm sure I wish we had him to sit down here and talk too, but I'm sure he would say, I reminded myself of this daily. Right. It didn't just happen. We read the scriptures and we don't get the backstory. We don't get what was going on in his head. We don't get his thought process totally only as much as he reveals to us. But I guarantee he will say I had to remind myself who I am in Christ every single day that I had to remind myself what God had done for me every single day. That I had to remind myself how I am called to live and walk and be every single day. That it was this process of reminding myself. And as I did that, I grew up in Christ and I grew in my, in my joy. You know, there was a time in my life when I was just walking with Christ um, at, at the beginning of really taking my faith seriously. And I remember reading, I, I used to read a lot of stuff that... Um, that was written by monks. I used to study some of the monks, and they were guys that, that uh, um, you know, kind of in a sense, they, they just didn't have much else to do but study the scriptures and work, right? They spent their days studying the scripture, praying, and, and working. And so they, they spent a lot of time thinking about God, doing theology, and they would write some really fantastic uh, things. And so I began reading some of that stuff, and I, I don't remember who exactly it was, but this monk talked about hanging um, um, a, um, a, something in his room, basically on the, on the mirror, um, the, these daily reminders, right, of, of who he was in God and how he was desiring to grow 
in his relationship with God on the mirror so that every day before walking out the house where he would look in that mirror, he would be reminded every single day that I am in Christ, I am righteous. I've been set free. Not righteous in my own works, but I've been covered by Christ's righteousness. And now that's something that I'm living into, but not living into with this fear of rejection, not living into with this fear of being judged according to the law, but I'm free from that and I'm living into it knowing that Christ loves me, accepts me, forgives me, has already shown me grace. You see, what Paul did was he learned to view the world and his own life through the lens of Scripture. He began to look at the Scriptures and he said, I not only know that Christ has done this, but he's done this for me. That I am forgiven in Christ, that I've been shown grace in Christ, that I am free in Christ. And as he reminded himself of that, he was empowered to walk in Christ, to have this confidence. You see, as we come to know what God has done through Jesus Christ, that we have this new confidence. And it's only as we have this confidence that we can experience the real joy that comes from God. This morning I was sitting, actually just before, maybe five, ten minutes before service, I was thinking about the analogy of a, of a child. If you ever look at little children, where they go from just kind of laying there, right? When you bring them home, people come over and they just kind of stand over them and look at them, right? And they just kind of lay there. They're just there, right? Then they get to this point where they're able to turn over and roll around a little bit. Then they're, they're crawling and they get to crawl forward and they discover, you know, maybe they can go in reverse too and they're doing that. Then they get up to the point and they're walking and they're holding on to the sofa, right? But they're, they're starting to take steps. They're holding on to someone's hand. Um, but then when they finally get to that point where they can walk without holding on to anything and they just take off running, they have this new confidence in these legs, right? There's these legs they've had all their life, but they've discovered now how they work. They've gotten the strength to be able to walk and to, to run. And, and the parents are thinking, oh boy, you know, now it's time to put up gates. It's time to block these kids. It's time to lock the cabinets because they can get into stuff. But this kid is experiencing more joy in his life than ever before because he, can, he has a little bit more freedom, a little bit more independence, right? These legs are now working, and I can now run, and I'm more confident standing, and he's experiencing more joy than he could ever, than he could ever imagine. You know, following Christ is learning that these legs really do work, right? And we really can stand on them, and that we can really run, that we can have confidence in Christ. And as we discover that confidence, we find the joy that can only come in the Lord. There's just um, a couple of things, right? I wrote wrote down a couple of things that that we can do um, to ensure that our confidence and joy is in the Lord, right? A couple of things we can do, three things that we can do to ensure that our confidence and joy is in the Lord. And this is just kind of practical things. I think the first thing that we can do and I talked about that the first talked about this the first week in this series is that we can get to know God, that we can get to know God, that we can study the scriptures, that we can apply ourselves to understanding the scriptures. Now, one of the things I did this morning, which is something that I don't always do, is read a larger section of scripture. Um, and so don't model uh, my example in my messages on Sunday morning when I will jump from one scripture and read a portion of that and jump to another and read a portion of that. But when you read scripture, settle down in a verse, right? Settle down in a chapter and read the whole thing so that you can get the big picture, right? So you can get a clearer understanding. The first thing we have to do is we have to get to know 
God, without knowing God, there's no way that we can walk in him. There's no way that we can have this confidence in him. And then ultimately, we can't have this joy in the Lord that Paul's talking about, which is a theological truth. I read this quote this week, J.I. Packard, in this book called Knowing God. He says this. He says, knowing God is crucially important for the living of our lives as it will be cruel to an Amazonian tribesman to fly him to London and put him down without explanation in, um, what's that? Yeah, that place. All right. And, uh, and leave him as one who knew nothing of England or England to fend for himself. So we are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it. The world becomes strange, mad, painful place, a strange, mad, painful place. And life in it is disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know about God. Disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through this life, blindfold, as it were, with no sense of direction, no understanding of what surrounds you. This way you can waste your life and lose your soul. He's clear here, right? That we're living in this world that was created by God. The best way through it is by knowing God. And it's as we know God that we discover these legs that are able to live the lives that God called us to live. And we're able to experience this confidence and joy that God created us to have. The reality is, I said this the first week, God created us to live lives with increasing joy. But that joy doesn't just happen, and it doesn't happen the good old traditional way, right? Chasing things, building up stuff, having stock, having a house, picket fence, and two cars in the garage, and a dog, right? It doesn't come through that, right? It comes through knowing God, understanding him, and walking in him every day. Second thing you got to do to increase your joy is you got to guard your joy, right? You have to guard it. And in fact, some of us, it might feel like we're fighting for our joy. And there's a few things, and I don't know if these are on the screen or not, because I haven't seen that, but there's a few things you can do to guard your joy. One is you got to realize that you're fighting first to know God, right? That's what you're fighting for. And always, and, and Kim and I were having this conversation, my wife, we were having this conversation earlier this week, just talking about the fact that when, whenever we're going through a difficult time, whether it's at work with a person or whether it's a place, we're always looking at how can I change this place or how can I change this person? When the first thing you learn is how can I change myself, right? And so you realize that you're fighting first to know God, when you find things that are messing with your joy, it's not about how can I change my situation, but it's about how can I know God first, how can I first know God uh, better. Second thing is listen to God's voice more than you listen to your own, right? A lot of times that, that's me right there. I, you know, you can listen to your own voice and you can hear yourself talking, but you don't really hear God talking because you're listening to yourself, right? God is wanting to do some things in our lives and he'll bring us through a process, but we have to be patient and we have to listen um, uh, with, let me say, listen with uh, not just these ears, but with spiritual ears to what God is doing in our lives. And say spiritual ears, I'm talking about begin paying attention to the scriptures, begin paying attention to, to the outcome of a situation and not just to the process of going through. Because there's sometimes that we go through something and we come out a lot stronger and more equipped for what is ahead because we went through it. But in the process of going through it, we're listening to ourselves and we're down and out and we're talking bad about how things are. And it just makes the situation worse. But if we learn to listen with these spiritual ears for what God might be doing in and through this situation, 
then a lot of times we come out stronger than we were when we came into it. Third thing is encourage yourself in seasons of darkness. Learn to speak encouraging things to yourself so then you can listen to yourself, right? Um, Fourth thing, position yourself around people who encourage you. And this is what we were talking about just a minute ago, right? Always place yourself around people who will encourage you, who will walk through life with you. They'll help, not not just your friends, right? I said this, uh, Kim and I were having this conversation just the other day, right? Friends, what's your friend's role? Their friend is, their role is to protect you, right? A friend's protection is not always a good thing, right? Because they'll say, you, well, you just need to leave that relationship, right? Or you just need to quit that job because, you know, they'll tell you what to do and it's not always in your best interest, right? So you need somebody to encourage you in your situation where you are right now. And so look for people who will encourage you. Next thing, take care of your body. Get rest, exercise, proper diet. Strengthens your immune system, right? But often when our immune system is weakened, we find ourselves weak spiritually as well, right? The worst thing is to face temptation while you have a cold or the flu, right? You do that, right? It's almost like two blows against you at once, right? Make sure your body is strong and you're ready to fight for your joy. Next thing, make war against any sin in your life. Now, that's John Piper that talks a lot about making war against sin in our life, not just letting it rest there. Well, this is just the way it is, right? That's not the way that that the scriptures call us to live our lives, but we make war against anything that's making war against us, right? We fight sin. We strategize. We plan. How can I resist this? How can I prevent this from happening, happening again? How can I walk in a new way, a new direction? Next thing is put your hands to work for the Lord. Right? Never think Never think that you have to get your life right before you're able to do the Lord's work. Never think that you have to reach this place of perfection till you do the Lord's work. Rather, we are being perfected as we do the Lord's work. We work now, and God is working in us. And so then the third thing I want you to see about ways that we can assure that we have our confidence and joy is that we let go of the past. We let go of the past. The reality is we can't affect things that have happened to us in the past. And oftentimes there's even things that we've done that we're guilty of from our past. And we'll carry those things along with us throughout this life. But it's awfully hard to follow the Lord if we're carrying all this stuff. Right? If you even look at the analogy of the disciples, Jesus' disciples, where they literally followed him, they walked with him. They didn't pack their suitcases in luggage, right? They didn't go out and rent 15 passenger vans and, and pickup trucks. They didn't go get a U-Haul and, or any of that stuff to carry their stuff. Right? They left their past and they followed Christ. And in Philippians 3, Paul says this in verse 12, not that I've already attained all of this or that I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward in Christ. Leave the past in the past so that you can follow Christ. Know that it's true, as the scriptures say, you are forgiven. You are loved. God's grace is for you.
He's already covered it. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks on this day that you've called us to live these lives of increasing joy. God, I thank you that we don't have to walk anymore in these lives where we say, hey, I'm just stuck here and there's nowhere for me to go. But we can learn through experience and then we can show through example like Paul that, yeah, in the midst of times where things are going well, in the midst of hard times, I still have my joy. And it's not because I was wired in a way where I'm strong and I'm bulletproof, but I still have my joy because I've learned who God is. I've gotten to know God. I've done my theology. And now I'm walking in joy, even though the world seems to be falling down around me at times. Because I know that God has my day-to-day and my destiny in his hand. And when that happens, we discover what is true in this song that we're getting ready to sing. And that's that we're not going to want to go back to the way things used to be. Because once we've experienced a taste of this newness in Christ, we want to go forward. And so, God, I just pray that that will be true of our lives, that that will be true of our every day, and that we'll find ourselves moving forward in you. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.